goodness really struck deep. It's been a very, very special time of looking at God's love and seeing how that impacts our lives. It's been quite something for me because often it's familiar things, but when they're presented in different ways, it just makes you wake up and think, wow, Lord, you love me. You love me without ceasing, unconditionally. And I just want to grow more and more in that truth. So if you've missed any of them, please be sure to catch up. It's such a vital message for our lives today. So Mark said right at the beginning that we need to be authentic with our love. If we are really to love God authentically, we need to experience his love authentically. We have to have that experience for real for ourselves. It's no good just pretending that you've got it because often we look at people around us and think, gosh, they're doing this or they're doing that. (laughs) But you know, the world system says, fake it till you make it, or something like that, don't they? (laughs) But God's word is not fake it till you make it. His word is, let me reveal myself to you as a God of love, in a way that will grip you and transform you, that you will come in here, hear about me, experience me, and go out not the same again. So this morning, that's my prayer, that this will be a time of personal encounter for each one here and now for real. Amen. (laughs) So um, as we looked at the different verses of love, the anchor verse that just stands out week after week has been Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. By now we all know it, don't we? It was a Pharisee, he's actually a lawyer who came to Jesus to try and trip him up and maybe you've met lawyers like that in your life. Well, anyway, they're not all like that, but this one came to Jesus to try and catch him out and say, what is the greatest commandment? And you know, the Pharisees actually added, apart from the 10 commandments God gave Moses, they added lots of extra commandments of do's and don'ts. So he thought he'd be clever. And Jesus just replied flawlessly. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And there was no question about that. And then he also said, love your neighbor as yourself. But Mark's talk last week, wow, that just really drove this home. Talking about loving God with all your heart, even when things are really rocky, when there's despair, when there's hopelessness. Loving him with all of your soul, when you're in aching pain, when you've just been disappointed time and time again. And loving him with your mind, when sometimes you feel confused and distracted. He was saying this is what the greatest is, to love God with all of your being. And Mark spoke about loving God in the wilderness. Were you here? Did you hear that? If you've missed it, really, that's one you need to listen to, loving God in the wilderness. And Mark said it's a choice you make. Well, Jesus was very aware of that wilderness experience. He knew what it meant to be in the wilderness because he had been in the wilderness himself. Do you remember in Luke chapter four and verse one, it's so interesting, it said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness 
But something happened, something shifted. Because in that wilderness experience, to me, what's amazing, Jesus experienced God in such a powerful way because he spoke the word and he saw the enemy flee. And then when you read in verse 14 how Jesus came out, it says, Jesus armed with the Holy Spirit's power, that's what it says in the Passion, returned to Galilee. Something had shifted while he was there. And that's exactly the experience. In the wilderness, things happen. And sometimes we feel, I'm in the wilderness, it's my own fault, I've made a mistake, I've done something wrong. But just see that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Because often the wilderness is the place where we really pay attention, where we listen to God, where we experience God, where we encounter him in a deep way, in a true way. Thanks, Richard. That'll be good. Yes, this is a bit wonky. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm going to go downstream any moment. <laughs> is it over? Can you hear me? Right. Sorry. That's better. Right. That feels a lot better. I feel a bit straighter. So Jesus knew about the wilderness. He had been there. And that's why it's so significant that when we trust in Jesus, we've got somebody who really understands us. So today, I want us to please take off any masks, not the ones upstairs who are wearing masks, but the <laughs> metaphorical masks. The time of pretending is gone. It is the time to be real, to be authentic with God. Because if we don't, we are missing out on the rich experience of encountering him personally, powerfully for ourselves. To me, what's just so exciting is that Mark spoke about being in the wilderness and making the decision to love God in the wilderness. But I had already prepared a talk and then I got COVID, do you remember? And my talk just follows straight on because you know what my talk is about? Coming out of the wilderness. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's coming out of the wilderness and it's starting to live in the ultimate destiny of what God has for us. Isn't that amazing? That's what I had prepared. <laughs> Coming out of the wilderness and walking in the ultimate destiny of what God has for us. So look how this is absolutely fitted in. Couldn't have been better. So the reason that I wanted to speak about this is because the talk that I had prepared when I couldn't come last time was face to face with love. Because love is not just a feeling or an emotion. Love is a person. That's Jesus. And face to face with him is the ultimate encounter you will ever have in your life. This is what true living is all about. Face to face with love. So what I would like to talk about today is how do we experience him? How do we know him? How does he know us? And how can we have that journey of coming out of the wilderness wherever we are? Being with Jesus. And this is actually my story. This is my faith walk. So what I'm sharing with you today, I've, as it were, dipped the pen into my heart 
and I'm writing. This is what I've learned, and this is what I'm living. And those of you who know me will vouch that this is the way it goes. We all know that wilderness experience. Boy, oh boy, don't we? <laughs> we've all been there. As I said, it's not always because we've made a mistake or we don't know how we arrived there. Often it's part of God's perfect plan because that's where he can deal with us, where he has our attention, where we can really grow in him. And as Jesus came out of the wilderness, empowered, full of the armor and fire of the Holy Spirit, that is our experience. The verse that I want to share with you is found right in the middle of the Bible in a little book. It's called The Song of Songs. It's one of my favorite. It's a little book, but it's drenched in God's love. And the verse I chose is 8, verse 5, which says, Who is this coming out of the desert, out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And that is, to me, the the essence of what this walk is all about. Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Her whole stance is leaning. It's relying on him. It's referring to him. And I can imagine that she would just be looking up into his eyes of fire. It's the story of the Shulamite, the Gentile bride, And it's such a perfect parallel to our relationship with the Lord, the Gentile bride. And so lovingly, he leads her out. He rescues her. He brings her out of the wilderness. And that's the key of getting out of the wilderness, leaning into the beloved. And he is not the tour operator. He says, this is the way, follow the steps, five easy paths, turn to the the left and out you go. He is the beloved, the one who loves, 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 the one who forgives, the one who woos us, who chases after us with a relentless love, the beloved. And as she experiences him as the beloved, it's because he loved her first and she responds in love to him. He rescues her. And you know what's amazing? Sometimes when we are really pressurized, when we feel we're in the pits, sometimes our only prayer can just be the name Jesus. Have you had that? I've had that. Sometimes you you can just say Jesus, Jesus. But that's the most powerful name. It is. His is the most powerful name above every name. And do you know what Jesus, Yeshua means? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the God of his creation, rescues. That's why she could lean on her beloved, because he was the symbol of the shepherd king who came to rescue her and to take her out of the wilderness and to lead her in the right way. It's beautiful. It's not about my performance, but it's about his presence, moment by moment. That's why I say, be brave. Take off the mask of your pretense with him. Be real with him. Because I don't want you to miss out on the rich experience of his presence in your life. It will change everything. It will transform everything. Learn to lean on him moment by moment. That's how you get the victory. And the reason that we can is this next scripture I want to share. 1 John 
verse, chapter 8, and 1 John, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is love. Because love is not just a feeling or an emotion. Love is the person of God, the person of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything I do is because of what the Father shares. The Father and I are one. And this is so beautiful. God is love. Jesus is love. He is that amazing, amazing, beautiful lover of our soul. And he comes after us, wooing us. So we don't have to grapple for survival. He wants us to live because verse 8 says, God is love. Verse 9 says, God showed his love for us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. So it's not about grappling with survival. It's about leading an abundant life genuinely, no matter what goes on around you. Some of the most amazing, inspiring people I've met in my life have been people who've had such a tough situation, but they shine because of God's love in them. It's absolutely unquenchable because it's the truth. It's the way he works. He comes into us and loves through us. He showed his love because love is dynamic. You've got to give it away. And that's what he did. He gave his love. He showed us, I love you. I'm sending my son to rescue you. And if we understand the true significance of the cross, that Jesus, when he hung on the cross, took everything that stops you from having total forgiveness, freedom, walking in God's love, then you need to just think again. Do I really know that Jesus died for me? Because when you receive him and accept that, this is what happens. We might have life in him and it's abundant. And Jesus said, I've come that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. And so often you think these people talk about love and joy, but it's true. (laughs) And when you've had that encounter, you live it and you know it, no matter what happens around. We love him because he first loved us. So the question I want to ask is a very personal question, and only you can answer this. Who is Jesus to you now? Where are you sitting? Where are you listening? Who is he to you? I know that many of us are familiar with him because we've heard the stories of how he just went around doing good, working miracles. Maybe we've been to the finest art galleries in the world and we've seen paintings by the hundreds, huge paintings of Jesus on a cross or Jesus with his disciples. So we're familiar with him because of what we've seen and heard. Maybe we've watched The Chosen, which is so gripping and so real, and we've seen him there in action. Maybe we've watched films, read books, But my question is, who is Jesus to you now, in this moment? Do you know him? Have you encountered him? Or do you just know about him? I urge you, have the rich experience of knowing him. The word in Hebrew, yada, is this intimate knowing him, that you may know him. 
There's a verse in Ephesians 3.19 that says, and I love the Amplified Bible, may you really come to know him practically for yourself by experience, the love of Christ, which far surpasses knowledge without experience. And may you be filled with all of your being with the fullness of God himself. And it starts with love. Isn't that beautiful? May you have this rich experience of being full of the fullness of God. So who is Jesus to you? Not just a figure in a book or on a film, the real Jesus encountering him. And as you lean onto him, as you make him your beloved, you truly will start experiencing this transformation from the inside. Circumstances may not change, but you will. (laughs) And you will be able to see that he will lead you out of the wilderness into the destiny that he has for you. I do want to touch just briefly on the story of the prodigal son because Jesus told this story again to Pharisees, religious people who were very critical. And he told the story, and I, oh, I would love to have been in the crowd that day, just listening as he described how this young upstart really came to his father and said, Dad, I don't want to wait until you've gone. I want the money and I want it now. And that was so cheeky, that was so disrespectful. In a way, it was saying, Dad, you're as good as gone. You know, give it to me. I want to go and live the life. And I think so many of us have had experiences where we thought, oh, you know, I'm a bit tired of the mundane. I want to hip it up a bit. I want to go out, party, have new friends, see new things, drive that car, whatever it is that you dream of. And this young boy, took the inheritance his father graciously gave him, and off he went. And we know the story so well. He spent it on wine, woman, and song, whatever. He realized when the money ran out, the friends ran out. Maybe you've had that experience. And then something happened that wasn't his control. There was a famine, and he couldn't find food. The only work he could get was feeding pigs. And you can imagine, for a nice Jewish boy... That was the most undignified thing imaginable. Pigs were not ready to be touched, and there he was working in the pigsty. And he got so desperate and so low that he looked with envy at what the pigs were eating, these slimy husks. And he realized then, I go back to my dad. Even the servants were treated better than I am. And I just love the story because he took the first step to go back. And I can imagine him rehearsing. When I get to my dad, I'm going to say, Dad, I'm so sorry. You know, you treat your servants better. I've done this. And he was busy going through all this pitter-patter. But Jesus said that when he was a long way off, the father who'd been waiting and watching saw his son, and he ran to him. And we know in the, in the Middle East that men who have substance like this father with his servants wouldn't be running. <laughs> but this dad picked up his robes and he ran. And I just love the exuberance of this running by this elderly father to his son. That when he got to his son, who must have actually smelled terrible and looked ghastly, he didn't even allow him to start speaking. He just embraced him. 
He kissed him on the neck repeatedly. He just loved him. And the son started to stammer that he'd made a terrible mistake. And the father covered his shame with a robe. He put a ring on his finger, which would have been authority, like their stamp. Everything I have is yours. And he put sandals on those feet that were barefoot and and broken and probably full of cuts and blisters and thorns. That is the love of the Father. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? It's just amazing. It's beyond understanding. And Jesus told the story with passion because that is the love of the Father. And don't forget, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what Jesus is saying, I will run after you. I will chase after you. As soon as you make the first step to me, I will come and I will embrace you because you have never been loved more than you are loved right now. That is his love for you. Jesus did put in about the older brother, remember, and I believe that was because of the Pharisees and Sadducees that were there. The older brother was so incensed. Dad, how can you do this? He's, you know, he's wasted his money and now you're throwing a party and you're celebrating. What about me? Listen to these words. The dad said, my son. The same as he'd said, my son, you were lost, now you're back. My son. He had the same love. I am always with you. And that's what God is saying to you. My son, my daughter, I am always with you. And he said, everything that I have is yours. Everything he has is yours. Don't be that older brother or that older sister who is incensed. Rejoice. Celebrate. Because the love of God is for you and you and you and for me. It's magnificent. Jesus told that story. And I urge you when you go home, read that again. And just take a moment to visualize yourself as that son or daughter coming back until you actually experience the love of God. There's nothing quite like it. When you know you loved, you can actually see it in somebody's face, can't you? (laughs) I sometimes see people waiting in queues at the post office and I think, she's not loved. He's loved. They've got a sparkle. You can almost tell. And I just long to look and see, yes, we are loved. My son, my daughter, I'm always with you. Everything I have is yours, says the Lord to you now. Where you're sitting, where you're listening. It's magnificent. So that was the first question. Who is Jesus to me? The second question I want to ask is this, and this you've got to dig a bit deeper. Who am I to Jesus? Who are you to Jesus? So often, identity is the big issue of the day. People think, you know, who you are depends on how many Instagram followers you've got. It depends on the outer packaging. Are you a size 8 or a size 36 or a size 16 or whatever? It's not about that. It's not how you hold your knife and fork at the meal table. None of that. Identity. Identity is who God says you are. So often we are defined by our past, 
or because of what somebody said about us or what somebody thinks about us, don't let that be your story. You are not defined by that. What happened one day, I heard a mother say this to her son, you'll never be anything. You're a failure, just like your dad. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that child's growing up listening to that. That's not what God says about you. He says, you are the apple of my eye. You are above and not beneath. You are the head and not the tail. He says, nothing can separate you from my love. Not angels, principalities, demons, things of past, things of the present. Nothing can separate you from my love. The hardest thing is to believe it. Believe it. Believe it and see him as your beloved because this is the picture of the bride and this is what this talk is really all about. Leaning on her beloved, coming out of the wilderness, knowing who she is in him. This book is amazing. I've studied it for many years. So often you read a chapter, you read a verse, and you think you know it, and then you read it again, and it leaps out at you. It's amazing. It's full of intrigue. It's got treachery. It's got deception. It's got murder. It's got violence. It's got passionate love. It's got glittering palaces. It's got windswept deserts. It's got rejoicing at weddings. It's got heartbreak at funerals. It's all in here. Beauty queens who save their nation. It's an amazing book. What's extraordinary is it's, it's actually historical. It is the truth. These things all happened. These are all real people. They're flawed, many of them. When you read them, most of them, all of them, in fact, as you read, <laughs> just like us. But what's amazing about this book is that it's not just an account of history. It's a love letter from God, preserved through centuries for you. And the way you can read this book is to read it personally. This was preserved amazingly so that I could read it and know the love letter from God to me, written by so many different authors through 66 books but it's a constant theme of his love for you. As I said, you'll never be more loved than you are now. Read this book, dip into it, and read it with eyes of faith, believing what he says about you. That is your true identity. You are his bride. You are just like that Shulamite. So lean into him, experience him as your beloved. The very... Last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. And in this book, John, who was a disciple of Jesus, was in his 80s and he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. 60 years before he wrote the book of Revelation, John would have been with Jesus day and night. He would have seen the eyes of Jesus thousands of times. But in Revelation chapter 1, And verse 14, he talks about Jesus as a resurrected Lord. And it just takes your breath away when he describes Jesus' eyes 
as flames of fire, flickering, twisting, twirling. And if you go into the Greek of that, it is riveting. These eyes are flames of fire. And it's not because of heat. It's because of passion. The love that Jesus has is so strong. It's astonishing. Eyes that transfixed, as John was writing, captivating, so intense, so amazing, the eyes of Jesus. This is the book of love from start to finish. And you know, the theme of the bride is what I really wanted to touch on because that is the love story that's in here. And I brought in the prodigal son because sometimes I think it's difficult for guys to think of themselves as a bride. (laughs) But the love of that father in the prodigal is that same intense love. But this love that is described in this love story from Genesis, where we read of Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God, having an intimacy together because they were made in God's image. That oneness, that beauty of oneness is reflected all the way through to the book of Revelation. I love the fact that in the Old Testament, repeatedly the theme of the bride comes over and over. Let's look at Isaiah 62 verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I just love that because he sees you as the bride. He sees us as the bride. And it's again the rejoicing. You know, with that father, when the son came back, he killed the fatted calf, he had a party. So much of God is celebrating and rejoicing. And here it is again, rejoicing over you as a bride. That's that's it. He rejoices over you because you're beautiful. (laughs) He sees you as his beautiful bride. Hosea 2, verse 16 is another. They're countless, the Old Testament and the New. And it shall be on that day, says in Hosea, you will call me husband. You won't call me master anymore. You'll call me husband. How extraordinary for the God of creation to say you will call me husband because he sees us as his bride. That's the most intimate relationship that he could possibly have with those he loves. That's how he sees us. It's just beautiful. The bride. So it's no accident that the first miracle that's recorded is the wedding at Cana in Galilee. (laughs) Is it? It's no accident that Jesus spoke about the ten virgins as the parable, just saying that they had they'd all been waiting for the bridegroom but five got a bit sleepy and their, their lamps weren't full of oil, but the other five were ready. And oh, I long for myself and for you too to be ready because the bridegroom is coming back. And if you look around us at the signs of the times, I think it's going to be pretty soon. We don't know. Be ready. The bridegroom will be returning. It's no accident that the last public message that Jesus gave to the masses before he went to the cross was about a bridegroom and about a wedding feast. The king had a great wedding feast planned for his son and he sent out invitations. 
You know that parable. It's no accident that that was the last public message he spoke before he went to the cross. It is no accident that you're here today, that you're listening now, that you are hearing the message of this intense, fiery love that Jesus has for you, his bride, the one he's treasured and loved and valued. (laughs) He sees you as the one who, who will be without spot or blemish on that glorious day. We feel so unworthy, we feel so tatty, but he's changing us from the inside and making us ready for when he comes back for us. So, looking at the last pages of this book, as the story comes to an end, and would the band please come up, I just want to draw attention to the fact that Revelation 1, John had this astonishing vision of the fiery eyes of love of Jesus. But in Revelation 2, there's such a severe warning. Do you know the church at Ephesus? They had all the programs. They did all the right things. They were hardworking. They uh, were persevering under great hardship. They had it all right. But Jesus said, you've lost your first love. Don't let that be your story. Don't let that be my story. Keep that first love. Keep that focus. Just think of her leaning into her beloved. Jesus, Jeshua, Yahweh saves. He rescues. Wait, focus. Don't be distracted. Be ready for him because he's coming back for you. And then Revelation chapter 19 is the most amazing description of the ultimate wedding feast. (laughs) And that is what this whole book is about. That is the destiny that I spoke about at the beginning. Who is he to me? Who am I to him? And what is the destiny that he has for us? It's glorious. It's beautiful. And I just long that we all are there to share in this together, to rejoice in it together. Yes, beloved ones, it's time to be brave and take away the mask of pretense. Maybe we haven't been real with ourselves or with God. And this is the time that I urge you in great love, come face to face with the person of love because he loves you more than you'll ever understand. But it's the most beautiful thing you will ever experience. And I've been a Christian for many years and it just gets better and better and more and more beautiful. So let's take a moment. Loving Father God, Thank you for this amazing message that pulsates through the entire Bible, your love for your bride. Thank you, Jesus, that as we yield ourselves to you now, you come in and fill us full to overflowing through the Holy Spirit, quickening us to 
respond to you because you first loved us. We give you all the failings. We give you all the shortcomings. We give you the disappointments. The times we didn't even believe in love, we give you the mess. And in exchange, we receive you. Cleaning us, making us whole, making us beautiful from the inside. And Lord, thank you that one day soon, (laughs) we will see you face to face. Amen. Thank you.